but we started to sing about God's faithfulness, then I was gone again. Tears rolling down my eyes. Oh, okay. Down my... When Kevin bought that tongue, I thought, I think I've got the interpretation, but I'm not sure that my throat is going to allow me uh, to bring it. So there we go. Funny how these things sometimes get you. Good. Well, uh, thank you so much. Look, it has been such a great privilege for me to be uh, one of the elders and leading the eldership team in this church. It's a huge privilege, uh, but I'm really excited about the next season as well. Um, uh, yeah. And Jane said a whole load of nice things about me, but I'd like to just say that behind every good man, there's a good woman. And that is true for me, because actually through all these years, Jane supported and blessed and prayed and behind the scenes has uh, done all that. So just want to honor you, hun. Thank you so much. It's definitely a team effort. Okay, now I get to preach. Uh, won't be that long, but I did feel God give me a few things to say. If you think this is going to be a bit like this is your life, it's not. I really do want to preach. I feel like God's given me some stuff to say. We're going to read Psalm 81. I think it will come up behind me. Let me read it to you. Psalm 81, if you want to follow on whatever device you may have. It says this, sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music. Strike the timbrel. Don't know what that is. Play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon and when the moon is full on the day of our festival. This is a decree for Israel, an, audience, uh, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. When God went out against Egypt, he established it as a statute for Joseph. I heard an unknown voice say, I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress, you called and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear me, my people, and I will warn you, if you would only listen to me, Israel. You shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not worship any god other than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. The prayer of every dentist. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies, turn their hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him, and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning by your word, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. What really struck me about this psalm uh, when I read it recently was that very last phrase, when God says that with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. And it struck me that only God could bring something sweet like honey from something so hard and dry like rock, and yet somehow make it so that it satisfies us. And I was reminded again in that moment, wow, God, it is you who do the impossible for your people. You're the one who make a way where there is no way. You're the one who provides what's needed when there's no means of provision. Honey from a rock. It is ridiculous. And I was reminded in the same moment that true satisfaction comes from receiving what God has for us. I'll say that one again. True satisfaction comes from receiving what God has for us, not in achieving anything in and of ourselves, not in acquiring material possessions, not having greater status or greater knowledge, 
but in desiring and receiving and walking into and doing whatever God has for us in the days that he has given us to walk on this earth. The whole advertising industry is based against that. <laughs> but we believe that that is to be true. And this psalm is one of a number of psalms that was written for the people of God in the Old Testament that they would use at their kind of annual religious gatherings or festivals. Those key times of the year when the nation as a whole would gather and there would a call to fix their eyes on God again. Maybe our equivalent might be a, you know, a Christmas, Easter, maybe a start of a New Year's celebration. And for these annual gatherings, a number of psalms were written specifically. And you'll find them in your book of psalms, and they all have a fairly similar structure. They call God's people to three things. Number one, to a celebration of who God is. Number two, a remembrance of what God has done. And number three, this call to commitment, to recommitment, to love and follow him. That's the basic pattern, celebration of who God is, remembrance of what God has done, his deeds, and therefore a response. Come on, recommit, follow him. And this morning, as I was praying about what God on earth do I share this morning, I felt this was right to share from this psalm, because we're kind of fairly near the start of a new year for all of us. And I think we're kind of fairly near maybe coming out of COVID and a bit of a new season in terms of the world generally. And Jane and I are certainly at the kind of start of a new season in our lives. And in many ways, I think as a church, we're kind of at the start of a new season. So I thought it might be helpful to look at what the people of God did of old in kind of moments, special moments through the year. Is that all right? Beautiful. So let's start. Celebration. What is God like? This psalm and all these types of psalms all begin with a call for the people of God to do what we did this morning, which was to celebrate, to worship. And that celebration doesn't begin with who they are or how well the crops have done that year or what, who they've defeated in this you know, battle or that. It doesn't even begin with what God has done for them. In essence, it starts with celebrating the character of of God. In other words, what God is like. In this psalm, you see it in verse 1, it says, sing for joy to God our strength. The character trait the psalmist picks up is that God is a God of strength. He is strong. If you look at a psalm like Psalm 95, verse 1 says, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock, capital R, of our salvation. The character trait in that psalm they pick up is that God is firm, he's solid, he's secure, he's the rock. And actually, the character of God, it is the starting place for celebration, but it actually punctuates this psalm, punctuates most psalm. If you look at this psalm, verse 7, he listens, verse 8, he speaks, verse 16 talks about his provision. Verse 14, how he protects. Verse 7, how he cares. Verse 16, how he satisfies. And he does these things and countless more because God is good and kind and faithful and compassionate and slow to anger and quick to bless. I picked out three verses for you from Psalm 86. It says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love, 
to all who call on you. For you do great and marvellous deeds. You alone are God. You, Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. His character can actually be seen and understood in the fruit of the Spirit that it tells us in Galatians, God is actively growing in us. It says Galatians 5, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The reason why God is wanting to grow those things in us is because he is love. He is peace. He is patient. He is kind. He is good. He is faithful. He is gentle. He has self-control. He has to, to deal with us lot. <clears throat> against these things, there is no law. There's no law against these things because they are the very character, the very nature of God himself. God is everything represented in every name that he gives himself in the scriptures. Wherever you read the Bible and see a name of God, whether it's rock or banner or shield or shepherd or refuge or provider, the list goes on and on. And he's given himself those names and told us that that is one of his names so that we might understand and we might look to him and we might trust him. And therefore, the starting point is always the character of God, because everything that is has come out of and is held together and will find its end in the character of God. Because when you're God, nobody can force you to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> so everything that is and everything that was and everything that will be has come from the character of God. <laughs> And as created beings, created by him, as we come and we focus and we fix our eyes and we gaze, as we said this morning, on his wonderful, unchanging character. So it causes us to do one thing, to worship, to praise, to celebrate. Which is why this psalm and all these types of psalms begin with celebration. But it's easy to miss the fact that the cause of that celebration is not because they're having a good day. It's not because they just love a good worship service. It's because they have an understanding of the character of God, the nature of God. We've had our eyes opened. It's been revealed to us. We see something of the character of God. And it's wonderful. It's truly wonderful. And only then... Do we get, I believe, to move on to what he has done? But surely we do move on to what he has done. We start with celebration and then we move on. Remembrance, what God has done. And the two key words or concepts here in these kind of Psalms are rescue or salvation and people. My people. In this Psalm, verse 8, verse 11, verse 13, 13, God repeats, my people, if only my people, if only my people. These two concepts of, or ideas, what has God done? Rescue or saved, and then this idea of, because they're my people. Let's start with the idea of rescue. See, it's all about being rescued from something, from being saved from something 
that you can't save yourself from. And in many ways, I think God's people in the Old Testament, in some ways, had a more limited understanding of personal salvation than us. We understand Jesus, the cross, we understand that. But you know, their understanding of rescue or salvation really came from the times that God rescued or saved them as a people corporately. Are you with me? Corporately, what God did with them as a people when he rescued them from slavery to the Egyptians, from drowning in front of the Red Sea, from times when they were about to starve or dehydrate in the desert. It's when he saved them corporately. They understood their personal salvation really as something which was rooted in being born into this specific family, which was part of the covenant. But if you remember, the other part of it was that they would love God and serve God with all their heart and obey him. And that's what they found more challenging. But, you know, as we come to Jesus and the New Testament, really what they understood and praised God for in terms of physical rescue and salvation from these terrible situations, really we understand and praise God. Actually, this is all about a spiritual rescue and a salvation. This is all God about saving our souls as it were. Everyone and anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, he is still the means of rescue and salvation. We are just as trapped as they were. Just for them, it was a physical demonstration. For us, we may not be in slavery, but actually we are in slavery to our sin. They're really talking about the same thing. So the answer to the question, well, what has God done? The answer is, for you and I, if you're a Christian here, He's rescued us. He saved us. Free, complete, everlasting, total forgiveness of sins and adoption into God's family. We have gone from enemies to friends. Just picture yourself standing before him on judgment day and him looking into you with his all-knowing, completely fair eyes. And there are just two ways to go. There is just heaven and hell. There is just an eternity with him or an eternity separated from him. On that day, do you think you'll care about whether you thought the music was too loud on a Sunday morning? Do you think you'll be that concerned that you found this person a bit irritating or a bit taxing? Do you even think you're going to think of all the good and noble things you've done in your life? Do you think you're going to raise your voice, wag your finger, wag your fist at God for all the perceived things that you thought he should have done and didn't do? Or all the wrongs in the world or the wrongs in the church from your great position of wisdom, having had three score and ten years on this earth, standing before God Almighty that knows everything, created everything? No. See, on that day, None of that's going to be going through any of our minds. In that moment, the only question will be, am I saved? Am I forgiven? Have I been rescued because I don't want to go where I'm going if not? I believe on that day, all we will want is salvation. And here's the wonderful news. All we will have is salvation in Jesus. Not that we loved him first, but that he loved us. And gave his son for us. That's the first thing that God's done. He's rescued us. If you're a Christian, he saved us. 
Second, which follows the first, is as, if not more wonderful than the first, if you thought the first was pretty wonderful. Because the second one, as shown in this psalm, by the use of this repeated phrase, my people, is that not just has God saved us, but he has adopted us. He has brought us into his family. We who were not his people have become his people. It's not just that we are no longer his enemies. We have become the very people and the very family of God. And in the scripture, God goes to extraordinary lengths, I think, to describe what that means for us. Because I think it's such a wonderful thing, we find it too hard to grasp. He says things like, I've adopted you as my dearly beloved children. You're not, you're not even friends, you're not servants. It's not that I didn't like you much, but now I like you a bit, le- you know, a bit more. It? No, no, I've adopted you. I've adopted you. You're my son, you're my daughter. He says things like, you are now betrothed to Jesus, the bridegroom, and one day he's going to present you to himself as a church, as a perfect, spotless bride. You're my sons, you're my daughters. Oh, wow. Hey, good. What? And you're going to marry my son. What? Hey. It's supposed to make us, what? What? We have this new husband, a new master, new brothers, new sisters. We have this local church family, worldwide church family, church family down the ages. It's going to be a heavenly church family. One day we'll be with them forever. God has said, no, no, come on, really. What more can I say or do? I've adopted you into my family. You're going to marry my son. You're all going to be with me forever. I mean, just take a blank sheet of paper. If you could ask God to do anything more for you, what would you ask? And he's done what he's done because of who he is. But what he's done has changed everything for us. It's changed everything for us. And if you're a Christian, it's happened. It happened the day you gave your life to Jesus. And the truth is that from that moment until your last moment, life is actually all about getting to know the one who saved you and adopted you into his family and calls you my people. Let me say that again. Life is actually all about getting to know the one who has saved us and adopted us and called us to be part of his family. That is what life is all about. I don't really care what anybody else in the world says it's all about. Because it's about that. Because nothing can trump knowing God. Nothing can trump being part of his family. All the money in the world can't trump it. All the glory and riches in the world can't trump it. What could you invent in the world since time began, that could trump being part of God's son or daughter. That's the second thing this psalm calls, therefore, the people of God to do. Remembrance. Remember what God has done for you. He's rescued you and he's called you to be part of his people. Which then I think leads to the final thing, which is recommitment. This call to love and follow him that you see in all these psalms. Because that is the right, the appropriate response for who God is and what he's done, to love and follow him. And you kind of see it in this psalm in the words of God himself. This is God speaking. God, this has been laid out to the people of God. And then there is this appeal from God. But my people wouldn't listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. 
If only my people would listen to me. If Israel would only follow my ways. God's calling them, if only they'd listen. If only they'd submit to my ways instead of their own ways. If only they'd listen to my good, kind, and gentle heart and not their own stubborn hearts. If only they'd follow my ways. And the call's always for the people of God to commit and to recommit our lives to God based on who he is and what he's done. Not because by doing that we're saved and adopted, but because we are saved and adopted, we can do that. We can come back before God. We can come back to him and see again who he is and what he's done. And because we do have a tendency like sheep, as Jesus so wonderfully put it, to wander off. We start to forget who we are now. We maybe stop living in the good of what God's done for us. Maybe the difficulty of circumstances. Maybe it's the trials of life. Maybe it's the COVID pandemic, whatever, whatever, whatever. But they've somehow caused us to take our eyes off of Jesus. Maybe the lies of the enemy that he constantly sows. Did God really say, are you really? He won't really look after you. The devil hasn't changed his tact. How he first tempted Adam and Eve and then Jesus is exactly the same as he tempts us now. Did he really? Did he really? No, he's holding out on you. You've, you can do better. He hasn't changed his tack. Maybe it's the promises of the world. All the world can promise some things, eh? Buy this deodorant, you can sleep with this boy or girl. <laughs> Buy this car, you'll be happy and fulfilled. Well, you won't. You'll just go from A to B. Be £47,000 in debt. I mean... The world, I mean, it just makes these outrageous promises. Read this book, eat this cereal bar, wear this jumper. You'll all be fine. You won't be. You will have just eaten a cereal bar and worn a jumper. I mean, but it's selling a promise. Don't buy it. Maybe it's the laziness and stubbornness in our own flesh, which is there, eh? It's definitely there in mine, still being killed off one day at a time. But it can cause us to start to wander. Has, have we put something or someone else other than Jesus on the throne of our lives? And so therefore, because that's a temptation, there is this call, this offer to come back, to commit, to recommit, to be reconciled again with a God who loves us very much, who's already paid the price for us to be reconciled with him. You kind of hear God's word in these Psalms. Won't my people, no, listen to me, come back to me. How many times when you read, when God speaks through his prophets, he's crying out to his people, come back to me, come back to me. You're my people, come back to me. I'll do you good, I'll look after you. Might not be easy, but I'll be with you. I'll make a way for you. It's God repeatedly sending out that message. So I believe that these Psalms and the call they contain of celebration, remembrance, recommitment, they're for all of us, in a sense, wherever we are spiritually, which is why I think in the Old Testament, the practice was to use them at these regular times through the year. Because if you're far away from God, there's a call, and that call is to recommit. And you recommit on the basis of this, not on how good you are or how good you were once, or how good you will be once in the future. The call to recommit is this. No, no, I understand, God, who you are and what you've done for me. 
Therefore, I recommit. If you're close to God spiritually, then the call is to recommit. Why? Because we're we're those who have seen what God's like and what he's done for us. (laughs) If you're okay somewhere in the middle, then the call is to recommit because of who he is and what he's done. Because you and I don't know what trials we may face in the next year or this year or in the next season or in this season that we're in. So we can't just go drifting into it. Because if we do that, we'll probably trip up. No, no. We need to commit. We need to recommit. No, no. God, I know who you are. I know what you've done. So frankly, for me, I think this process that I see in these Psalms of celebration, remembrance, recommitment, it's too good. It's too important to leave until special occasions, just a few times a year. I think for me, this needs to be a monthly, a weekly, a daily reality. No, no, Lord, this is who you are. Oh, Lord, this is what you've done. Okay, Lord, I commit today to loving, listening, serving, following you. I'm going to end by just reading a few words from Jesus. He says this in John 14. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them.